0: <laughs> Let me pray a prayer that I prayed last week. I've just loved this prayer and I probably can pray it throughout our series. It's from Haiti. Our great doctor, your word is like alcohol. When poured on an infected wound, it burns and stings, but only then does it kill the germs. If it doesn't burn, it doesn't do any good. Father, we are all hungry baby birds this morning. Our heart mouths are gaping wide, waiting for you to fill us. Father, a cold wind seems to have chilled us. Wrap us in the blanket of your word and warm us up. And Lord, we find your word like cabbage. As we pull down the leaves, we get closer to the heart as we get closer to the heart it is sweeter still. Amen. So we're in the middle of Genesis 1 through 3 and we're going to spend 3 weeks on 1, 3 weeks on 2, 3 weeks on 3. And we did God's creation of all creation, uh, God's creation of all things last week and today we're going to be particularly talking about humans and it, it, was, it was a struggle getting back in it. I had like 10 days for the first sermon, and I had all sorts of thoughts about things. But you know, going back to back, I was like, man, I am, these are not muscles that are working very well. So I had about 6,500 words for you today. Um, and I still think there's about 4,500 on here, but I'm going to be skipping stuff. But I don't feel... Chris is like, please skip some stuff. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, and, and that doesn't even include any C.S. Lewis quotes at all which is saying something for me. Um, and so, so bear with me, because um, I, I kind of wanted to just throw all my notes away and just talk at you, because I think this is such a crucial, underdeveloped and under-imagined reality that we're gonna talk about today, and that is that we bear the image of God. There's an instinct for every human, under, under all sorts of um, careers and types of people, there's an instinct to actually study, understand, uh, write poetry to, uh, philosophize about what it means to be a human. What does it mean? What's its purpose? You know, if we were truly objective, Michael Polanyi, the philosopher, says that if we were truly objective and we just wanted to study that which was most in the world, we would study space dust because there's more space dust than anything else in the world. But we have an instinct to not move towards the space dust and just count it less than. And we have another instinct to care about the things with the breath of life in it, and especially humans. It's an instinct. It's baked into who we are. And everyone knows that this is a priority in the universe. This is what Genesis is explaining to us. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so he did it. In his image, he created them. Man and woman, he created them. And it was so. And behold, it was very good. You have to start here and stay here and return here over and over again. As a human who lives in a world that is so broken, as such broken people, we have to realize that human beings have a unique place in the created order because they have received this gift as being bearers of the image of God. And every poet and parent and philosopher and firefighter knows it. There's something there. This arises from God's love, his grace, his kindness, which he ascribes to us. He gives it to us as a gift and then builds it in us. And it is, it is born of his kindness to the world. So we are creatures, but we are creatures that have... Um, are designed for impersonation, if you will, to to bear some type of image of the Trinity. Now, there's a lot of discussion over the years about what exactly is it that we do in the bearing? Where exactly is that located? And there are three, you could read all sorts of stuff about it, but there's three main camps that people fall into, and as you will probably guess, I don't think any one of them is sufficient. We've got to hold them all together. The first one is resemblance, that there's something about God um, uh, that is in us that we, we have some either capacities or, or something essential in us, like either reason or creativity or things like that, that are bearing the image of God. I think that's great. I think that's, it gets really wonky when you start talking about, like, uh, the physical body. I don't know if you heard some of the arguments that, uh, uh, like, kind of against masks because, you know, you bear the image in your face. I just don't think your face holds that kind of weight. Um, and uh, so you may have a problem with masks, and that's okay, but don't blame the image on that. On that, it's okay. All right? Don't bring Jesus into it. Um, so... The other thing is that it's representational. So the first one is resemblance, the second one is representational. And this is like we represent him being fruitful and multiplying upon the earth, that it's the acts that we do, that we are um, princes and princesses of the king of creation and we do his bidding. There's a other term called vicegerent that theologians like to use, which just is like someone who does the work of the king. Um, Then the other one is relational that you saw the plurals in there, us and our image, that God is already beginning this hint of, of, of showing that, like the spirit over the earth and the work of the Father, that there's this hint that God himself as a trinity, is, is, is we bear the image in our relationship to, what, to one another in love, and that the complexities of those relationships is one of the ways we bear. And I already told you my point, which is those are all true. And I don't think they even get all the facets that we could come up with. Um, but they're important. And we'll talk a lot more about the relationships in the Trinity when we get into the second chapter, which is kind of the, the part de of the creation story in humans. And again, we don't have to choose between these things. And here's another important part. That even after the fall, we still bear the image. It is true that it is faded at times very faded, but it cannot be erased. Cain gets in trouble for taking the life of his brother because he, after the fall, he took the life of an image bearer. And the scripture is clear that that is wrong. So they still both, even murdered and murderer, bared the image. Every family, in every house, every person in every zip code, in every county, in every state, in every nation, in every continent, every ancestor, and every descendant bears the image of God. God made us, and we remain image bearers even in our brokenness and rebellion in our fallen state that we live in, even in all the things that we have done to each other and that we have done. And I'm not talking to you who follow Christ or call on his name, I'm talking to every single one of you. No matter how you feel about yourself, how discouraged you are, how much you're grieving or aching or enraged, how much you screwed up this week or last night, how much your mirror haunts you, and how you feel devalued and have been devalued, how useless you feel at times, no matter how broken you feel, no matter how broken you are, and how much you fear or hide or lie you bear the image of God. It's not just that humans bear the image of God. You bear the image of God. I found in my time with humans that there are two equally, um, th- two equally uh, unnerving realities about our, life t- about our life that we don't like to face, things that we like to avoid, and we have an uncanny knack for self-deception. And that one is people, the humans I hang out with, including the one in my mirror, don't like to um, see our sin or our brokenness or arrogance or our anger. But second, we avoid seeing our dignity and our grandeur, our weight and our worth. They are both unnerving and disrupting to us I was actually my friend is here actually that uh, I was going to tell the story about and forgot to ask him because he's usually not here Um, but it was that it's okay good thank you Um, we had this crazy YouTube thing going around you know like threads with friends and things like that and this athlete jumped up and like you know looked like he jumped twice as high as himself and grabbed the baseball out of the thing. And we were all just like, wow, that's amazing. And my friend said in the text stream, humans are beautiful. And I thought, man, you're a Calvinist, you can't say that, you know, you, 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 we're awful. No, no, but what it did was I was like, that instinct, that perspective was, I mean, it was a simple statement, but to me it was just like, oh, I have to reorient this way. I, I, I need a greater instinct in this manner. The humans are beautiful. And you don't have to then go, but you cannot imagine. You cannot imagine your, the, the eternal worth that you carry. You cannot measure the significance of your own life. You can't plumb the seas to see how God sees you. You cannot scale the peaks to see God's value of you. You cannot do it, it's too immense, it's too eternal, it's too holy. And so we must spend time imagining yourself in your mirror, these things. And it isn't disruptive to see, because you and I know how little we grasp this and lean into this at times, this high and wonderful identity. Unless you recognize the height and the dignity and the splendor with which you were made, you're going to have a, um, a thin view of the fullness of the gospel, including the fall, but also redemption in Christ. G.K. Chesterton says, you get balance in these things. Um, uh, well, maybe I'll just quote it instead of. Um, balance, is, is, uh, balance for a tightrope walker is not achieved by narrowing. But by expanding, you need a long pole to cross the Niagara, or else you will fall. In one sense, we can't think too much of our dignity or our depravity, but we can think too little of both. And I think that's exactly right. Yes, it is true that you're more sinful than you could ever imagine. But one of the reasons is because you have not imagined what you were made to be, that you are made in the image of God. And so this says something about not just your worth, but your work. I mean, he goes on to say, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and live in the earth. I want you to do what I've been doing on the earth: is create and fill the earth. And so what it's saying is that, 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 that our worth and work are so important. And our work is very simple. And that is to bring all of our agency, our powers, our dignity, our labor, our creativity, to fill the earth with the loving reign of God. Now that's a pretty important thing. The God who loves this creation. And image bearing in our work are so tied together because it's the creator's desire to fill the earth with representatives who will look and act like him in the world. A kind of delighting, a delighted in dominion over the earth. He enjoyed creating us. He loves his creation and he has brought us here to tend to it, to tend to the earth and the earthlings therein. And that is our work. It is a whole fulfillment of his work week, those six days, if you will. The earth was created to be God's kingdom and we were created in God's image to be princes and princesses of the earth. We're on a mission to love and tend the earth. And that doesn't mean you have to do this in a particular way. I don't know if it's by spreadsheets or spreads or sheets, whether it's wiping down counters or wiping babies' bottoms. I don't know if you use a scalpel or an iPhone or a hammer. You have a purpose for life, for the flourishing of earth and the earthlings in it. In a world that gets so confused about identity, so confused about what gives us purpose, God has said, I've given you the whole earth and set you in it and given you all the worth of bearing my image and living that work out in the world. Go have fun. I made a playground and a workstation. Work and play. But I have another point. And it's not this, that you are created in God's image. And this is the one I think we need to lean into even more. Maybe not even more, but equally as much. They are created in God's image. I read an article this morning, The Whiffs of the Civil War. Talking about, I can't remember the percentage, but it was right around 50% of progressives and 50% of uh, Trump supporters, according to this poll, um, think we should divide as a nation. And the author went on to talk about the language we use about the other, the them. And if you've been around me, not publicly, but in a lot of less public situations in Sunday schools and things, I've said one of my great goals of being the pastor of Redeemer is that we would not participate in the Civil War. I know it's a lofty call. But I'm dead serious. Something happens when we let the image be erased in others. They are made in the image of God. And it is amazing how quickly it happens. It didn't take but 15 to 20 years for Rwanda, Rwanda had to have genocide. And it started with othering, and then it with dehumanizing. When you were called a cockroach, then you don't bear the image anymore. And therefore, I don't have to uphold it in you. And as soon as you can dehumanize someone, then you can kill them. We must watch not just our language, but our hearts as we do this. It is very serious business. Henry Clay, one of the most powerful and significant um, government officials in our country's history, Secretary of State. Indians are inferior to the Anglo-Saxon, by which you meant Native Americans. That's in 1825, Trail of Tears, 1830. Supreme Court, 1857. The Negro is a subordinate and inferior class of beings. Supreme Court, 1973. The word person does not include the unborn. As soon as you take the image from a person, you make them not a person, and then you can kill them. That trick happens not outside there, happens inside here. And we do not have an institution in this world right now that is fighting to preserve the life of every image bearer in the world. And the church has jumped way too easily on the bandwagon of dehumanizing the other. we must, because we bear the image and know the truth and reality of this, because Jesus is the great image bearer, The image of God, perfect in fullness, who came to us, who didn't always do right, who don't always do right, to come back and restore that image in us. And we live our life in him, the true image bearer of the world. And he spoke dignity to us. He brings back our worth and our work. And he did so when we were his enemies. we must refuse to fall into this syncretistic, hating the other world, dehumanizing others. I don't care what kind of political or social group it is, we must refuse to treat anyone other than a bearer of the image of God. And if you're having trouble, you're just going to have to stare at them over and over again until something ekes through. Or you have to stare at our Lord Jesus who looked at us and waited till it inked through and then he came and got it and is reforming it in us, renewing it in us. What we do is we make this little trick and it usually happens so slightly, often with just a little slur, just a little snowflake, just a little moron, just a little bozos, just a little this, but that turns into dehumanization like that. Jesus says, if you call somebody a fool, you are guilty of the Sanhedrin and worthy of hellfire. Do you think he made the connection? That's how important our language is when we do that. That's why we don't say illegals or criminals. There are people. That's why we don't use that kind of language. During the Holocaust, Nazis called Jews rats. Hutus called Tutsis cockroaches. Westerners called native peoples savages. Serbs called Bosnians aliens. Slave owners called human beings chattel. It's not far off from each other. And so we must remember that Jesus has come And the scriptures we read today say it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the second Adam, the true Adam, the one who doesn't fall, the one who bears the image in his worth and work and then invites us into to have our lives hidden in him, to then restore that into us so that we might take our rightful place again refusing to bring indignity to any human being in the world. And we do this from womb to tomb, every second in between womb all the way to tomb. He is this perfect bearer of the image of God. That means if you can't see God, look at Jesus, and then you know, read about him, and then you know that we don't have to be afraid to enter into life with him. Scripture says that we are with, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. Scripture says that whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. His whole point of being is to restore image. Let us not just think about Christianity or the gospel as the forgiveness of sin. Let us never not think it's not about the forgiveness of sin, but let us realize that this is so much bigger. That the forgiveness of sin is the restorative act that starts to begin to shape us into a people who can tend the earth and other earthlings. That's the point, that we would love them well. But we first must repent and hide our lives in Christ and receive his dignity and honor. And then we must do that for our neighbors. We must repent and run from the damnable ways in which we imagine and speak of people as less. We must follow the Lord and be restored into a kingdom that values human beings as one who reflect God himself and honoring life from womb to tomb everywhere in between. We must refuse any thought, or emotion, or action that undermines or assaults this foundational reality. (laughs) We have to, got my car, something flushed. Radiator stuff. It was bad. It took three times. First time I messed it up. But that's, we have to flush the system of dehumanization and fill it with the image-bearer himself and his love for the world. I've only got a thousand more words, but I'm going to stop. Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, in those things he is making all things new, including the image we bear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, and we love you. And we know you love us, and we know how hard it is, not just sometimes to see the image in our mirrors, but to see it in our neighbors and our enemies. Lord, please rid us of the instinct to dehumanize. Please take it far from us. We want to reflect your love to the world. Your deep valuing of humans. Help us. We beg it in your name. Amen.